0: Awesome. I'm so excited for this morning, um, for what God is going to do in our community over the next few weeks with our Standing Strong series. This has come out of a moment um, recently when we were traveling abroad, and at a specific night of worship, I really just felt an incredible burden on my heart for you guys back home, for us as a community. So many people standing in very difficult circumstances, been standing for a very long time in very difficult circumstances. And I think life just happens and we all find ourselves often at crossroads, at moments of tension, at disappointments, at disillusionment in life where it's really difficult to stand our ground. And I believe that we are in a season now for us as a church prophetically, for us as a church where we're gonna come around the Word of God, where He's gonna give us the ability to stand our ground and not throw away our confidence in a time that it is so necessary for the church to stand strong and keep trusting God in everything. We sang it this morning. We trust you, Lord. Your ways are higher than our own. And I thought about that confession, and I thought about my own walk, and I realized that it is a very bold statement to make. It is often a difficult statement to make to be able to say, Lord, your ways are higher than my own. Because if I had things my way, It would have looked completely different. But we've got to stand back and trust God uh, to speak to us about his ways and how he sees things. And I think what we often want to do is we want to say, Lord, we want to understand. I think we should change our prayer from, Lord, we want to understand to just, Lord, we want to stand. We just want to remain standing amidst a world that we are in that is just throwing so much at us. I was thinking about us as South Africans when we were traveling a lot of people would ask us how are things back home in South Africa and I had to say you know what it feels like it is a trying time for our nation it feels like there's an upsurge again of people trying to find opportunities abroad and and find other countries and greener pastures and people are scared and there's intimidation and there's fear and there's a broken economy and things just feel really hard and it was during this trip that I emailed uh, Ricky and Michelle well, and said, this is what Leon and I are feeling, we want to come back and, and go into a season where we, we speak about this, where we pray into this, where we allow for prophetic moments to, to speak into our circumstances. So this morning I want to say, get ready for God to steady our hearts. I just, just as I was praying for, for this series, the, the, the image that I had in mind was just God's, father hands coming over our hearts and just steadying our hearts and saying, my my children, I've got this. I've always had this from the beginning of time throughout history into the future. Everything I've said, everything I've done, I have got this. So let your hearts be steady. Let your hearts be still and stand your ground. I want to say this to us this morning that There's a couple of tensions that come to mind when we think about this. It would have been great to just have four sermons on a Sunday where we just say, we're going to claim our ground and run against the enemy and beat him up and be victorious. Nice. Yes, we would want that because that's what we should do. But I I, I recognize in just spending time with the Lord and reading his word that standing ground is far more than just claiming and fighting. And we're going to look at three things, and I want you to hear this this morning. We're going to start this morning looking at our position. Where have Christ and God positioned us? Because before we can face the enemy and run and and have our victories and our battles, we need to understand where we are positioned as children of God. Secondly, we've got to talk about our disposition. What are the, the, the makeup and the intricacies and the truths and the character of what we believe? Because some of us might be in a trying time because our disposition is misaligned. There might be some things in ourselves that God needs to tweak and better so that we can stand our ground in the times of adversary. So we're, looking, we're going to look at position, we're going to look at our disposition, and then we're going to look at the opposition. That's when the enemy comes and he faces us and he, he comes with with things our way, and how do we then stand once our position is secure, our disposition is aligned to the word, then we can go and face the opposition, and may I say this, so much of what we're going through might not be opposition, it's just life, and life is just that, it is tricky, and life is an invitation to endurance. I was just looking through the word this week, just just paging through it, just grabbing from the beginning to the end moments and we see from the very start that this concept of endurance is something that God has for us. We see it right in the beginning where where Abram and and Sarah had to endure with the promise that God had for them and, and Isaac arrives. And what does God do? He says to Abram, I'm now gonna test you. I'm gonna take your endurance to a greater level. You're gonna walk your son up the hill and you're gonna slaughter him On the top of the mountain, and you're going to sacrifice the very thing that I entrusted to you. I can imagine that journey up on the mountain of endurance, of a father walking with his son and all the turmoil in his heart. Because there's an almighty God who asked something of him that if he had his way, it wouldn't have been up up the mountain with his son. And then we know how the story ends of how God came through. But then we go through the rest of the Bible, and it's, it's throughout all the stories of endurance. The Psalms are full of it, where the psalmists write, and they say, Man, I'm in such a fix, Lord. I, it feels like my enemies are turning against me. I feel like I'm in the pit. Nothing is working, but I'm enduring because you say you are good. I remain steadfast because your mercies are new. We go through other moments in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who said, may it be said to you, king, that even though we perish today, we will endure in our belief that believe in God, so throw us in the fire. They didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but they stood their ground. And this this is the key of what I believe God is wanting to do in our hearts, is that if the enemy can take our confidence, he's won. If he can come to the church and to us as believers and just take that one thing, that treasure of confidence that God has given us. And he just steals that away. He's standing back and he's laughing and he is having a field day because he has won. When the church shrinks back, when we cower in difficult times, the enemy is having a roaring time. And I believe God is calling us, his body, I believe he's calling his church To get to a place where we say, we're going to stand our ground, Lord. Even if we are thrown into the fiery furnace. Even if we perish, Lord. Let it be said of us that we worship almighty God. That we worship the king of kings. Do you believe it's possible to live in such a place? I believe it this morning. I'm going to preach from conviction this morning. That there's something that God has for us. And today, we're going to position ourselves. And next week we're going to be hearing testimonies of people in this congregation who have positioned themselves and God has done incredible things. And in in week three we're going to look at our disposition. What are some of the things that we might believe or ideas that we have around the theology of suffering that God needs to just tweak and align to his whole word. Not just the one or two verses. And then on our last Sunday, we're going to be facing the opposition. We're going to take a stand in the Spirit. And we're going to be trusting God for breakthrough. Yes, on the Sunday morning, we're going to have times of ministry and then into that evening. I think the biggest question that I, I need to address this morning, and I think this is probably the question that most people battle with more than the question of, is there a God I think the question people battle with more, is that God sovereign? A lot of people would speak about the idea of a deity, of a greater force, of a God or God in existence. And we as followers of Jesus believe in God. But the harder one to ask, do we believe he's sovereign? Do we believe that he is constantly at work, seeing a picture of 7 billion going to 8 billion people's lives, and how he's tweaking things and working things for those who believe in him so that it would be for their benefit. Do we believe that even if he leads us into a season of endurance, going up a hill, having to sacrifice the very thing that we've contended for, do we believe that he is at work and that he is sovereign? That's one of the fundamental questions we've got to answer as a follower of Jesus. Do we believe that God is sovereign over all. We sing it, but do we believe it? Do we believe that he says no to you, but yes to someone else, that that is his sovereign will for your life and his sovereign will for that person's life? We see in the story of Job, I hope that you know some of that story, but God allows an incredible painful season to come upon Job's life. And he is surrounded by a whole bunch of suppose friends who come and say is God so amazing so sovereign so good and I thought about that the analogy of our own walk our own society our own family sometimes whispering doubt in our belief in God in moments where we need to endure and then eventually there's a moment where Job has these questions and then God answers him and God responds and he says where were you when I laid the foundations of the world. Job, do you want to come with your humanity and come face off against my sovereignty? And then there's a moment where he says, I have spoken too quickly, Lord. I'm gonna put my, my my hand over my mouth. I'm gonna put my mouth in the dust because I've spoken too quickly. How many of us speak too quickly where God just wants us to stand our ground? Not to understand, but to keep standing. And then the very last chapter of the story, after God responded to Job, this is some of the last words of Job. He says, I know one thing, that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So Lord, I know that you can do anything. You can be, and you are the God of the impossible, who can do all things. But I also know that all your purposes will take place. And that's the tightrope that we walk in in our Christian life, that he is the God of the impossible, but he is sovereign. And in his impossibility, there are things that he might do that serves his purposes for his kingdom and his glory that might be different than the outcome that we wanted. And then we see after Job rendered his heart before God like that, how God came and restored Job. And I want to encourage us this morning that there's a season of restoration ahead for us, a season of restoring us in our rightful position in Christ Jesus where we can stand and we can come with hearts like Job and render our hearts before him and say, Lord, I know you can do all things, yet I know that you are the God of purpose and that nothing that you purpose will be thwarted and not happen. John Piper writes this about the sovereignty of God. He says, God is not simple. He is complex. He does many things at one time. He has unique, differing purposes for billions of people and ten thousands of thousands plans for how today's events will bear fruit in 50 years. Do not judge the purposes of God prematurely. That just arrested my heart this week. And my God Okay, where do we start? And I just felt it's very simple. Start with your position in Christ. It's something that we speak of often here, our identity in Jesus. We've just gone through the book of Philippians where, where the apostle Paul writes about being in Christ Jesus. But again, this is where we're gonna start. We're gonna talk about our positioning in Christ, our solid ground on which we stand, which is not shaking, which is not of the world. And in that, we can be confident. So turn your Bibles with me To the book of Hebrews, we're going to be in chapter 10. We're going to read some of the verses in this chapter. And then we're going to look at how do we apply our position and how do we remain in our position of confidence in Christ Jesus. The letter to the Hebrews, unsure of who wrote it. There's no certainty about who the author is. There's some ideas. But it's clear if you read the content of it that it was written to a specific people who were facing a whole lot of opposition. And because of the opposition and the suffering and the endurance they were going through, there were a lot of temptation. And that temptation came in various ways. Some of them wanted to fall back into their religious practices of of being religious according to the law and fulfilling that. Some of them were just tempted purely by sin and like this this following Jesus thing is to heart, so I'm just going to go back to my former life. And then there's the temptation of of losing their confidence, the temptation of not standing strong amidst the trials. And building up to Hebrews chapter eight is speaking about Jesus and the better covenant that he's brought us. And then the full assurance of our faith, the fullness of our faith is found in Christ Jesus. And out of that, the author writes this most incredible part of our confidence that we're gonna be reading together. So let's read together Hebrews 10 from verse 19. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Moving over to verse 32. Recall former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that our hearts would be captivated again with the position that you have for us of confidence. I pray, Lord, Lord, this morning if there are any of us who have felt the temptation of shrinking back, that we would hear the admonishing of your scripture this morning and say that we are not of those who shrink back, so that you would not say that you don't have pleasure in us, but that we would say this morning, Lord, we will hold fast to the hope and the full assurance of faith without wavering. I pray, Lord, as we look at your word and the keys of confidence that you've given us, that we would realign to that this morning. And I pray that you would be, through your Holy Spirit, the preacher to every one of our souls here this morning. May the word fall on fertile ground and bring forth fruit in season. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a convicting piece of Scripture. And this morning I'm simply going to call my message Confidence Keepers. I believe that God is calling us as His church to be confidence keepers. To be people who say that come what may and there's a whole lot of things that we'll give but the one thing it's not going to give is our confidence in Jesus. Our confidence in our belief, our confidence in the hope, That he is our confidence in the full assurance of the faith that he has for us. Because we see throughout scriptures how the people of God go through difficult things and have to endure. And we've seen the victories. But we're going to be jumping on later into Hebrews 11 and 12. That even speaks of those who's gone before us that even haven't received the fullness of the promise. They kept their confidence without wavering. God is saying... My children, there's a greater place for you to live in where you don't have to shake and fear, where you don't have to hold back, where you don't have to cower when the enemy comes. I like that word, cower, it's a strong word, shrinking back, but where you can stand and when life happens, you can stand because you are so sure of your position in Christ Jesus. And this is the prophetic sense for us as a church, that we're going to be called up to be confidence keepers. That's clearly the one thing that the enemy has really tried hard. And I, I can keep you busy here all morning with testimonies and stories out of my own walk very recently, even this week, where confidence is the one thing that the enemy wanted to come and take away. But I rather want to spend some more time in the Word this morning than just sharing stories. You see, our thoughts, how we speak, what we confess. We've got to ask the question: do we do it as confidence keepers or do we confess negativity, fear, disbelief? Are we in a disposition of knowing that the Word of God is really what we hold to, irregardless of what happens around us, in a time and a season where the Word of God is deeply challenged? We've got to, we've got to ask these questions for us. And, and then I hope that by the end of this morning, but by the end of this season, but truly going forward, that we would be a people who can say, therefore, we will not throw away our confidence. And that's an invitation this morning to each one of us. Because of what Jesus has done, because of a loving Father, a compassionate God who understands everything, He has sent His Son and He has made a way for us to be with Him yesterday. But one day in the fullness, when He returns and the fullness of the promise will be available to each one of us, therefore we will not throw away our confidence. We will be people who remain standing. Now, it's important when you look at that statement. Therefore means there is something before. And I I studied this piece of passage, and I realized there's three things that this author writes to his audience that I believe are things that help them be confidence keepers. And that's what I want to look at this morning. What are the three things that he has given us through Christ Jesus and because of Christ Jesus that we can have in our lives that will help us be confidence keepers in this season. And the first thing that I believe we read about is that we have great company. This is one of the very things that I believe the enemy does really well as well, is when you're going through a difficult time, is to lead you to a place of isolation. And there's many reasons for it. Maybe because you've lost your confidence. I once was a woman of faith who believed that God would heal me. And here I am years later and I'm still not healed. And what I confessed back in the day and I believed that by his wounds I would be healed. And it's three years down the line and I'm still broken in my body. So I'm going to just isolate myself a little bit because my faith has lost some confidence. I once heard a story of a preacher who was in his deathbed. And his last words were, I believe by his wounds I am healed. And he passed away. Because we've got to understand what this scripture says. It says the day is coming. That there's a full assurance of the hope. That Jesus is going to come and then the fullness of the promise will be available to us. But what we do when we go through difficult times, we isolate ourselves from the company that God has given us. And we're going to look at that in a minute. And we suffer by ourselves. Some of us go through moments of victimization, where we feel like victims. Maybe because we compare ourselves to one another too much. We compare what we have to what others have. Or we go through a difficult time. Some of us stay away just because of guilt and shame. We just feel like, can't be around the people of God because I'm not as Christian as they are. There's this thing in the Afrikaans culture, we speak about a groot Christen. You guys have heard that. is a groot Christen. Like, what, three? Is he like seven feet and 150 kilograms, groot christen? What does it mean? You know, he's a groot christen. And then some of us who feel like klein christen, we stay away because we're not a groot christen like Ricky and Eugene and everyone else in this room. So we isolate ourselves. But one of the ways that we don't throw away our confidence is to be around the great company that God has given us. And there's two two things this morning that the scripture says. First of all, we have Jesus as our company. We have Jesus as our company. I want you to hear this this morning. If you have Jesus next to you, it's like a young boy walking next to his dad. And his dad says, come son, let's climb the mountain. That little boy's shoulders are broad. And he's ready to climb the mountain because his dad is with him. And because his dad is with him, he knows he can conquer that mountain. And some of us forget that we've got Jesus in this race with us. Some of us forget what he's done, that he's paid the price, and that whenever we're suffering, he is so near to say, I truly understand. Let me embrace you. Therefore, the scripture says, since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us come near to Jesus again, the greatest company that you could have. And maybe for you that's simply the shift you need to make in this season is just coming back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to be so aware of you walking with me every single step of the way. Listen to what Jesus said, just a few things. I am with you always to the end of age. When he sent his disciples into the world, said go and make disciples, gave them a promise. I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now what suffering and hardships does, it gives us the illusion that Jesus has left us. But it's only an illusion. It's not truth. And some of us align to the illusion because life has happened, but Jesus is still there. So let us draw near so that we can have the confidence again that he has for us. Look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Look at the example of Jesus walking with Christ and says, I know this is hard to climb up this mountain, but let, you remind you, let me remind you of the cross and for the joy at the other side of it. I endured for you. So I know you can endure because I'm with you. I'm by your side. I can help you. And then Hebrews chapter four speaks about this so beautifully. It says, we have a high priest That can empathize with everything we go through. Because he was tempted like us in every way, yet without sin. That temptation is not just the temptation of the flesh for things that we want, that we should not have. That temptation, I believe, is the, the temptation of disbelief in God. The temptation of disillusionment. And we see Jesus just on the brink of that temptation in the garden where he says, I don't know if I can endure. And I can imagine in his humanity, because he knew the pain that was coming and sweating blood in that painful moment of what he's got to face, how he had a temptation in his heart to maybe just, Father, I can't do this. But what did he did, he bowed down lower and he submitted even further to the sovereignty of God and said, but let your will be done. I submit to that. That's a temptation that Jesus faced. So he understands when we go through something that is so hard that we just want to turn our back and shrink back and run away. He understands and he says, I empathize with you. Come and be with me. Come and find your perfect peace in me again. It is true and I believe it because I live it and I see it in my own walk. When I go to that place of intimacy with Jesus, I get a confidence again to get up and face the world so the invitation first and foremost is go to the great company that you have in Jesus don't isolate yourself from him even if you've made mistakes and you have feel like there's guilt and shame then it's when you have to run back to him and say Jesus I want you to restore my confidence you are great company to keep with secondly in the great company that he's given us he's given us one another and this is key One of the things that break my heart most is to see a community of people who supposedly community, but there's absolutely no involvement in one another's lives. There's the inability to really go and sit in one another's pain and see one another through difficulties. It says here in the scriptures, verse 24, 25, Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging One another. Your confidence is found here amongst one another. Yes, it's first and foremost in Jesus, but secondly, it's in his bride. It's in his body. It's in the hands and feet of feeling Jesus in your walk. And what happened to these people in in Hebrews, we read it in the story, is that they went to visit those who were in prison because they were such a tight community, but they were completely Oblivious to the fact that once they do it, they will get in trouble, and and then this gets quite interesting. Once they visited their friends in prison who confessed their beliefs in Jesus, it said that the enemy came and plundered their property, and it plundered their property in such a way that they joyfully accepted it. So I go and I visit Corbus in prison because he confessed Jesus and he's there being persecuted but I love Kuba so much because we're in a a friendship and a community that's unbroken and we need the company and I need to go and stir confidence in him again and I need to see what he's done for the sake of Jesus to stir confidence in me again so I go there and then I hear because you visited Kuba someone's at your house and then I walk back and say take the chair please please take the table take the car what else do you want because I've got great company And they are in prison, and I might not be, but I'm stuck with them in that place because we have Jesus as our company. That's how these people lived. Can we get to that place where our insecurities can get out of the way, where our victimization can get out of the way, where we get so stuck in one another's lives that even if we lose property, we're okay with that because we have great company to keep. We open up our lives so completely that we just lavish on one another what one another needs. Sometimes your endurance would come to an end if we are the community that God wants us to be some of us might be holding back an obedience to God and what we need to do for one another and your obedience is just the breakthrough that someone might need in that moment and these people lived like this and because of that there was a great confidence therefore they did not throw away their confidence we need to share our stories we need to be real about what we're going through and not stay in that realness like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear, and oh, it's tough. But I hear you, but let me just stir some confidence in you again. Have you spent time with the greatest company, Jesus? Will you just come and spend a little bit more time with me? Because I want to speak faith into your life. I'm going through a real difficult time. It's really tough. You know what? We've got extra, gro- extra groceries at home. Just, I'm going to bring a couple of bags over to you. You know what? I'm going to... I'm going to not go and eat out this, this month or whatever it is that we do so that I just get some food to my brothers who's in prison. You see what I'm aiming at? Some of us lose our confidence because we don't have the community around us that we need. And it says so easily, stir up one another, love one another, do good works to one another, meeting together. Man, this is the one that the enemy loves. If I can just get them to not go to live group, or church anymore some of us have lost our confidence because we're not attending church or prayer meetings anymore God had some profound things at Thursday night on prayer in people's lives because they knew the value of finding their confidence in the great company that God has for us and then encouraging one another it's as simple as that so first of all we've got great company and when we have great company, we will stir a confidence in one another. And because of the great company in Jesus, we can remain confident. Secondly, we have a beautiful beginning. I love this part. It says, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, brackets, after you met Jesus, you got saved, he took you out of your darkness and placed you in the kingdom of light. After this moment, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. It speaks about that moment where you've met Jesus and then nothing else in the world mattered. That they were so in awe and infatuated with meeting Christ Jesus that sufferings came their way but they endured because there was a fire and a passion and a zeal and conviction in them that nothing could take away. Last night we were spending time with a friend who is heading into a big milestone of his life this week and he said, you know what, I often think back on that moment where I got baptized and how good God was to me in that moment. And since then when I look back. I can just see the goodness of God. Even through my darkest of moments. The goodness of God has written over my life. And I just saw that fire and that zeal and that passion again. Of the day that he was enlightened in Jesus. Forgetting. is one of the greatest enemies of hope. Forgetting that moment. Where Christ stepped into your life and changed Everything. And the writer here says, your confidence will come in that place where you recall and remember that fire and that zeal and that passion and that conviction you had for Jesus at the beginning. Do you still run with such passion? Do you still run with, or have you got involved in all these theology and ideas and conversations and dialogue and committees and books and ideas and was it just still Jesus and a passion for him? We've complicated this Christian life by the culture we are in. Jesus is saying, just, just keep company with me and let me fire in you a fire again of passion and conviction for me and run like you ran back in the day. When you're in love, you would go do anything. You would go get on a bike in the middle of the night and drive far in darkness and cold weather to be with your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it is. I've heard people share some crazy stories with me about what they did just to be with their loved ones. Some crazy stuff. Because there was a fire and a passion and a zeal in them to just spend time with that person. And he's saying one of the ways we keep our confidence is to keep that, that fire aflame. Spend time with Christ. Fall in love with him again. Joshua chapter 4. God teaches his people the principle of remembering and recalling. They've just entered the promised land. They've crossed the Jordan River. And God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build an altar. Twelve, 12 stones that represent the twelve tribes. And put an altar. And I want you to worship at this altar. And then the next thing is they needed to endure the city of Jericho. Jericho. But what did God do? He said, you're going to walk there and back for seven days. And every time they came back to the altar of remembrance of what God has done in the past. To set them up for what he's going to do in the future. Have we got moments of remembrance and altars of remembrance in our own walk with Jesus. That we can say, you know what? Man, this is a tough month. But I remember a couple of months ago how God came through man this is really difficult I feel really sick but I remember that one year when I had the flu and someone laid hands on me I actually got better altars of remembrance where we go back and remember what God has done so maybe for you this morning you need to just think for a minute in this fight of endurance where you have forgotten and that might just stir a hope in you again that God can do things over and over again Maybe it is just simply going back to that place of your first love, of the zeal and the passion of fire, recalling the former day when you met Jesus and you ran with him with compassion or with passion like never before. And then thirdly and lastly, the third key to confidence, we have an abiding treasure. You joyfully accept the plundering of your property, not just summer, but Why? since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. If we can get back to that place where we hold Jesus as our ultimate possession, our great company, our fire and our zeal and our abiding possession, they can come and plunder our homes because we've got Jesus and there's nothing that can take it away. Therefore, we do not throw away our confidence. The author is trying to lift our view back to the treasure of great price, the kingdom, the ultimate reality of a Jesus that he has given us to live our lives with. And he says, that is an abiding possession. It's interesting that Jesus said, don't accumulate for yourself treasures on earth. And then he says, where moth and rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. But we want to stand the thieves off, like no thieves. And it's good, we should, no thieves. But sometimes thieves break in and steal. And then we go into this flurry of disillusionment. But Jesus actually said that that might happen. Therefore, focus on the abiding possession of knowing Jesus. Focus on the abiding possession of being found in him. Focus on the abiding possession of the position of being in Christ, because if you stand there and you hold him as your ultimate price, your ultimate value, then you will not lose your confidence. You will not shrink back. I want to read to us Psalm 73, the Psalm of Asaph, who goes through the turmoil that I think some of you might be going through this morning. And I want you to see how he then corrects himself. I want you to see how he runs to the company of being with God in the sanctuary, spending time with God. I want you to see how he says that even though my health might give way, I see you as my abiding possession. Let me read Psalm 73. I'm reading from the NLT translation this morning. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace, And clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything. Their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. And their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused. Drinking in all their words. Man, doesn't this speak to our culture? What are their words that we're drinking in? What does God know? They ask, does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Therefore, I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally I understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and sent them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and that I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet, I still belong to you. The confidence comes back. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. You are my priced, abiding possession. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. What a riveting psalm. Speaks exactly of where so many of us find ourselves. And the invitation is simple this morning, to get back to a place. Lord, though my health may fail, though my spirit is weak, I will find confidence in you again. Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 expounds on this idea. And it speaks about all the people that went before us. And I don't know if you knew this, but we call it the, the hall of fame of faith. For those men and women that went before us, that the Bible just lifts up as people of faith. And twice in Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, Speaking about these men and women, Abram, Moses, the likes, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in this earth. You see, the full promise of the Christian life is when Jesus comes. And in this walk with him, you are going to be moments of promise that will be true. But the fullness is when he returns. Again, I'm going to go to 11 verse 39. And all these, all these men and women of faith, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. They were still in waiting like we are today. This is encouraging to us. They are still in waiting like we are today. It says, since God had provided something better for all of us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Then going into the next chapter, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, all the weights that we're carrying. Let us lay it aside, looking to Jesus, our abiding position, our fire, our flame, our passion, our great company. Let us look to him, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him and do at the cross is seated at the right hand the throne of God this Jesus is going to come back and then all our endurance our pain, our suffering our hardships will cease but up until that moment we're going to have this the whole time in life so the question to all of us this morning is what's our standing ground? are you standing on anything other but Christ this morning and the confidence in him? Or are you standing on something else? And the invitation is to come and stand on our great company, our beautiful beginning of meeting Jesus and our abiding position. We're going to sing a song that we all know pretty well. But I want to share the story of this song, where the song came from. I don't know if you know this, But I'm going to read it to us. It's the story of the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know that? I'm going to read you the story of where this song originated. And may this be an encouragement to you of how generations later, someone's life was so centered upon the confidence of Christ that we sing a song today that helps us get back to that confidence. The story goes like this. In the 18th century, Welsh missionaries pioneered mission work among the Garo Hill tribe in Meghalaya, which was then part of the northeastern state of Assam in India. After initial opposition from the people of this headhunting tribe, the missionaries had a breakthrough and one family became followers of Jesus. As this family began to share the gospel with their friends, the village head brought the man, his wife, And the two children to stand trial before the people. The chief demanded that the man and his family renounce their faith in Jesus. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the guru man responded, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Stunned by his response, the chief ordered that the man's children be killed. And they were shot with arrows. As they lay dying before their parents, the chief gave the man another opportunity to renounce his faith and threatened to kill his wife if he did not. Looking at his dying children and then his wife and fighting back tears, the man said, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. Enraged by his response, the chief ordered the archers to shoot the man's wife. As she lay dying on the ground next to her children, the chief gave the guru disciple one final chance to renounce his faith in Jesus. Witnessing the loss of his family and contemplating the loss of his own life, the man uttered his final words, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Jesus is my ultimate possession. I'm not turning back. I'm not shrinking back. I'm not cowering back. After saying these words, Arrows plunged into the Garo disciple's chest, and he fell dead beside his family and fellow martyrs. The people of the village stood in stunned silence at the sight of these fearless Garo disciples who gave their lives for a Jewish man from a faraway time and place. The village chief could not put the incident out of his mind. How could a man be ready to give up his family and his life for his faith? In time, he too declared that he wanted to follow Jesus to the utter surprise of his village. The gospel quickly spread throughout the village and soon neighboring tribes began to turn to Jesus. And as a result of this revival, today the Garu people of northeastern India are predominantly Christian, 92% compared to the national average of 3%. When the story of the Garu martyrs began to spread across India, Indian evangelist Sadhu Sundar Singh put the words to a traditional Indian folk tune. And this song became a beloved hymn among Indian Christians. In the 1950s, Billy Graham began using the hymn at his revival meetings. And the beloved Indian hymn became a global anthem, a declaration of faith for people from every tribe, nation, and language. Now when we sing it, different perspective. So I want you to, uh, to stand with me this morning as we get ready to sing this song. We're going to create this time of worship. But there's an invitation where you get to step back into your standing ground of confidence. I've put up A confession of confidence for us all to read this morning. If you want to read this, if you want to say this, read with me. Let's say this out loud. Let's go. But I am not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lord Jesus, as we come and find our confidence again in your company, in what you did for us in the beginning when we met you, And in you as our abiding treasure, just like this family in India, whose song we're going to sing this morning. Pray, Lord, that you would shift us back to a position of confidence. Lord, that we would untie our connections with shrinking back this morning. And that we, your people, will say that we've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Thank you, Lord Jesus